Welcome to Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling the stories of women living in rural and remote Australia. I'm Emma Herbert, and I'm so happy to be back in your ears for our 11th season of Life on the Land. We have an absolutely cracking series of guests lined up for you, and I just can't wait for you to hear their stories. What would Dad do? These are the words Sally Jones thought to herself in the midst of the dairy crisis sweeping the nation in 2016. Sally was a daughter of dairy farmers, a daughter of entrepreneurs, and a daughter left reeling, grieving the loss of her father, Michael Bowen, who had completed suicide just weeks prior. When I think of Sally, I think of a force of nature a change maker, someone who takes personal pain and channels it into something to improve the greater good. This is what Sally did after losing her dad, creating Gippsland Jersey, a dairy cooperative that is 100% Gippsland made and family owned, paying farmers a fair price for their milk while spreading awareness for mental health and producing premium pure Jersey dairy products. It's been an enormous undertaking and a long 10 years since that day in June in 2013 when Sally's dad, a classic salt-of-the-earth farmer, strong and enormously capable, first walked into the then 33-year-old's kitchen and broke down. Just a quick note to say that this episode deals with mental ill health and suicide. If this is triggering for you or someone you know, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. I have three kids under three and a half and my, uh, I, it was a Sunday afternoon. I just put all three of them down to sleep. And if you're a mum, you really know that, you know, you cherish that moment of quietness and, and possibly to hop into bed yourself. And um, this particular day, my dad walked into my back door and in my mind, I was just thinking, yep, yep, quick, quick, quick. I just need you to hurry up and get out of here because I need to go to sleep myself. I was exhausted. And um, he started crying and I was like, wow, I've never seen my dad cry before. So there's something happening. And I said to him, what's the matter? What's the matter? And um, he proceeded to sort of tell me this, this stuff and it was unbelievable. And I called mum, mum was overseas at the time. And I said, I think dad's having a mental breakdown. And she said, there's no way that he could be having a breakdown because he's such a strong, capable dairy farmer, can do capable man. So, uh, that was the start for us, um, on that journey of supporting him through that really hard time and it wasn't easy supporting him Uh, he was psychotic depressed and um it was just challenging you know all sorts because he's also as a daughter that I really respected and looked up to and loved and when he was psychotic and saying all of these things you we were being convinced that maybe maybe there is like someone looking at the cattle or whatever it was and um I guess you also start questioning because he's he's always been so capable and um, then when that crumbles, you have to, guess, change gears and um, step up and sort of, yeah, he goes from being the parent to you being the carer kind of thing. But my family were amazing. Like we did all sorts of things. Like he walked him and did the diet and 
and all of those things. Um, one big thing was that he put a offer on a farm and he was convinced that the world was ending, that we all needed to grow our own food and, you know, live in community. And we just thought, oh, he's, this is so crazy. And uh, he put an unconditional offer on a big piece of land, which we didn't have the money for. And um, that time came uh, and settlement came. And um, I said to him, look, we just need to go and talk about this to the owner. Like we can't, we can't, we can't we'll, we'll lose our own family farm. And he said, no, 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 we can't do this. We can't do this. And anyway, I just ended up saying to my other younger sister, right, we're going to talk to the farmer. Showed up to his door at 8 o'clock on a Sunday night and um, we we introduced ourselves and explained the situation. We said he should never have made an offer on this farm. He's not well. And, um, and we sort of sorted it out. And we went home and we thought, this is going to solve the issue. Like he was so psychotic and upset about it. And um, he felt ashamed and he thought he'd let us down. And I think with men, you know, there is a lot of financial stuff is very much the thing that undoes men mentally, I believe. And, um, we, yeah, we thought we'd sorted it out and we could move forward. And then two, late, two, week, two weeks later, he um, decided to take himself out and it was just devastating because never, ever did we think that he would do that. And that was a massively life-defining moment for me. Sally, it's just heartbreaking. I'm so deeply sorry for your loss and for your family's loss and the ripple effect. We were talking yesterday about some quite extraordinary statistics around the impact of of someone's death, but in particular that of suicide rurally. Are you able to share some of, of those statistics around on how that that ripple does uh, go out into the community? Absolutely. Um, The stats are that if somebody suicides in your community, it has a direct impact of 135 people and indirectly there's 900 people that are affected by that one person's suicide. Um, And I can't remember what the Australian stats are for the year of 2022, but I I did hear the figure that it's about 9 million people have been indirectly impacted by suicide last year. It's just such a huge thing. And I think we have definitely become better at speaking about it. And it is um, that the stigma has been reduced and we are talking so much more about mental ill health. But this was seven years ago where I do think that it was different. And you have the the multifaceted um, conundrum where you are seeing your parent, their humanity, you know, in, in one, one respect, they're, they're, they are a human being first and then a parent second. And it's very difficult to take them off that pedestal where they're always right, particularly um, perhaps a father who is from the land who is so pragmatic and practical. So I feel like that really compounds. And then to have his mental ill health challenge as well, it's just such an extraordinary thing to go through. How did it affect your life moving forward after his passing? Yeah, well, a few weeks after that, the dairy crisis happened and um, I run this farmer's market and um, people were inundating the social media pages asking, what what milk can we buy? You know, we want to support local farmers. We want to buy local. We want to support Australian-owned. And um, me and all of my grief was thinking, this is just like what would my dad be doing right now because... Um, 
long story short, he he decided that he'd value add to all of his milk back in the eighties, late eighties, and um, we so milk cows. We made ice cream on a on a factory on our dairy farm. I think he was actually the first person to obtain a dairy food safe license next to the dairy, which is a big thing in Australia. Wow. And then we had ice cream shops. So that I grew up very much in that value adding space. And he was a man that hated injustice, would always stand up um, to government, to whoever <laughs> decided to show up and he would he would uh, he would, you know, question it. Mm. Um, but the one thing he hated about the dairy industry was that dairy farmers are just price takers. They can't ever set their own price. So he was always on a mission to, um, to value add. And I guess all of us as a family were brought along on that ride and I guess instilled those qualities. So when, when the dairy crisis happened in 2016, just after my dad had passed, I thought, you know, and, and, and here and being quite triggered as well, I think, because there were a number of suicides going on. Um, mm. and I thought, you know, what would my dad do? And and then I spoke to a friend who's also a dairy farmer, Steve Ronalds, and he'd lost a substantial amount of money in the crisis and was questioning, you know, why he might continue in uh, in daring. And so we came together and I guess for two reasons we started, like two different reasons. So I needed somewhere to channel my grief into and and I guess channel it somewhere. And for Steve, he wanted to get a fair price for his milk and he wanted to control that. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we, uh, decided in the June 2016 that we would do this. We had a brand lined up, three pillars. One that farmers have to pay a fair price. Second one is creating, um, social change in rural mental health. And then the third one was kindness. And those pillars of our brand, um, like everything we do has to fit in within those. And um, three months later, we launched our milk in a bottle at the Warrigal Farmers Market where we had no idea if this would even work. Um, Steve, you know, we just put 5,000 litres in a milk tank, sent it off, and we processed it, brought it back. Um, we had hundreds of people show up to the market and rally around us. And then all of those people then told other people and it's just been this amazing, beautiful bush telegraph and um, we're now stocked in Coles and Woolies and independent supermarkets and about 400 stockers throughout Victoria with a premium milk. And, um, wow, what a ride. And for me, you know, I've just absolutely loved, I guess, creating something positive out of something so tragic um, of my dad passing. And, you know, to be honest, I probably wouldn't have done it if my dad hadn't had been so bold and, such a pioneer in that space and I really felt like um you know I was riding on the coattails of his previous work mm, but you've definitely put your very specific Sally Jones magic and energy into this and this is why it's been such a success um so I think you you definitely it's a it's a credit thousand percent to your energy but you now have um, other farmers involved as well, don't you? Tell me a little bit about the logistics of this and, and how it works and um, and I guess how the public has reacted to to your brand. Yeah, um, so we obviously, yeah, started with Steve's farm and then we grew when we bought a second farm on, a third farm. We now have a fourth farm supplying and we're looking at a fifth farm next year. So as in like 2013. So um 
Uh, we we didn't spend a dollar on marketing simply because we didn't have money, you know, to do it. So it's been word of mouth, wearing out pairs of boots, pounding the pavement and having our community support. Oh, the journey's just been amazing. So one element that I will talk about is that mental health pillar. And for me, that was really big because I did want to create more conversations in that space knowing that I think if my dad could have had those conversations or had other men around um, sharing their stories that maybe he wouldn't have, you know, decided to um, end his life. So I remember I was in the shower one day and I just thought stories, people love stories and I love stories and my dad loves stories. And I thought if I could do a calendar and share 12 stories of dairy farmers in Gippsland every year, of their health journey, um, I think it would create some change. And that's what I did. I, I, I'll never forget I contacted a dairy farmer and like all these farmers, I don't know who they are. I don't even know their story. And I just reached out to him on the phone and his name's Joe McGetto and he couldn't believe that I'd called him. And, um, and he has an amazing story of just, yeah, beating that, beating those suicidal thoughts, beating that ideology of wanting to kill himself and he walked around you know with a bullet in his pocket for so long wanting to put it in his wanting wanting to end his life and um he shared that story in my first calendar along with 11 other stories and there's not enough time here today to share all the stories but he stood with me and he's he's still standing with me and he's created change and um for me it was like a very cathartic process of going through that um speaking to these farmers getting their stories and just you know they would open up to me and I would feel like I understand you know and it was this beautiful I guess incidental counseling essentially and Mm. you know I, I just I just think that my dad I just know that these are the stories that my dad would have loved to have read and these are the stories that I guess my dad would you know, he would probably have opened up and shared if someone had taken the time to ask him, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah. Mm, there's such a, there's a real brilliance, especially with the calendar idea as well, because that sits on the wall of every busy home and underneath the swimming carnivals and the birthday dates and the anniversaries and the got to take the dog to the vet. There are these stories, which is really normalizing conversation starting and and what is previously such a taboo topic I think that is where the brilliance is is kind of um is finding that I don't know the celebration of the extraordinary ordinary lives that you are surrounded by but making it extremely public and and intimate in a home I think there's a real brilliance to that and storytelling storytelling there is such power so I think congratulations how brilliant Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, and I think it was just through my own process because, um, you know, I remember when we did launch that our Gippsland Jersey milk and the Herald Sun came out to do a story and I thought, well, it's the dairy crisis. Of course they're going to talk about Steve and and his story, but no, they honed straight in on me. And I remember seeing the word suicide printed on page three of the Herald Sun um, and I had no idea um, that it was sort of going public and my family all found out essentially that I was starting Milk Brand talking about my dad's death, mm. you know, and and having that suicide word printed. It was very confronting for me and I had to, like, choose to get really comfortable with talking about it. Mm. Um, it was, 
yeah and I, I guess it was just is this okay like it, as you said it was taboo nobody talked about it um nobody um t- yeah it was a dirty little thing that no one yeah Mm, yeah, absolutely. So much residual shame, which just needs to be abolished so that we can talk about and prevent it before it happens. So you do the calendars annually and where can people buy those? Because I think that'd be something the community would really like to support. They're free. So uh, we, we provide them free of charge. They're just on our website. Um, you just have to pay the postage. Wow, that's amazing. And so the your background, I think, has really helped, obviously, because you're amazing on social media and, and very authentic. Tell me a little bit about your um, background with your career and how that helped, I suppose, with um, Gibson Jersey. Um, yeah, I, I finished school and um, I thought I would left dairy farming, left, you know, left the chaos of, I guess, our pretty unconventional home and was heading to the city was heading to Melbourne to um, do something different and um, I didn't know what I was going to do after school actually I uh, anyway fell into a course public relations and arts degree ended up at Melbourne's hottest boutique agency of the time where they looked after the Grand Prix and Red Bull and and whatnot and I just thought wow like this is this is a whole nother world. I remember going on the Foster's Grid Girl competition around Australia launch, stuffing boobs in bikinis and, <laughs> you know, all in the name of the, the, the Grand Prix. Wouldn't be PC these days, but, um, <laughs> it was something that we did. And, um, you know, I, I just picked up and I just realized, well, you've got to have the media, I guess, tell your story. Like if you want to reach audiences, you sort of have to, you have to put yourself out there a bit. I was getting my pop to to pay my rent. I was getting my pop to drive down from Lakes Entrance to Melbourne, which is a four-hour drive every weekend so that I could sell my dad's produce at the farmer's markets, which were really, I guess, a big thing starting out at that time. Anyway, people started asking, oh, you know, farm questions and asking about the process of how their milk was made and all of these boring things. And I remember calling dad saying, you know, people just in the city are just (laughs) so disconnected. They've just got no idea where their food comes from. And um, anyway, the idea was sparked that I would come home and um, start a little milk brand called Aphrodite Bath Milk at the time in in about 2006. And And how old were you then? uh, I must have been about 22, 23. Mm-hmm. And so I came back and I essentially did an apprenticeship with my dad, but my mum also said to me, don't marry a dairy farmer. And so that complicated things because <laughs> I had a city, a city man and he, um, yeah, complicated things because he said he never moved to get, come to Gippsland. But anyway, he did. And, um, we are here and we've been here for, we haven't left. So that's all good. <laughs> but. Yeah, probably wise words by mum, you know, don't marry a dairy farmer. Like it is, it's a certain way of life and, um, yeah, but my husband, on the other hand, wouldn't know what end of the, ca- what end of the cow that the milk would come out of. So it's quite funny. <laughs> I guess having exposure, it's not necessarily the, um, the uni degree that I did, but it's more about the people and the connections that I happened to make in those short few years. And there was a couple of girls. Um, PR girls that um, are incredibly 
amazing that just really took me under their wing. And oh, I don't know, when I started Gippsland Jersey, I think so many people spoke on my behalf and, and helped get that message out. So, you know, milk is not an easy thing to choose, fresh milk. You know, mm. you've only got a certain amount of days to get that out and on the shelf and sold. And um, I can't even begin to explain to you the whirlwind and and the spin that I've had with the support. It's just unbelievable, you know, like when um, – so we started out contract packing and then w- we had to finish up there. We got booted out and we had nowhere else to go. And so we didn't have a credit rating or we didn't have any money and we had to process our milk somewhere. And the last option out of probably 20 was going back to um, my family farm in Lake's Entrance to process the milk. And how long into um, Gippsland, Jersey was this? Like how many years had you been operating? About 18 months. Okay, so pretty quickly. Yeah, so we're about 18 months into our brand. So, you know, we're starting to get some traction. We, um, you know, it was going along beautifully. But we thought, oh, my goodness, this is going to, we're going to, we're going to, have to shut up our little shop if we don't find a solution. Anyway, we crowdfunded and we asked people to pre-purchase bottles of milk in order for us to start the factory. And we raised $110,000 in three weeks off a couple of Facebook posts. It was absolutely unbelievable. And that is like just bottles of milk. That's yeah, not, just bottles of milk. Yeah, wow, that's a lot of bottles. And, and obviously we didn't want to ask people to just, you know, give us money. We just said, if you can help us out, pre-purchase and then you can claim your milk back. But people were very generous and not a lot of people claimed their milk back. <laughs> um, like one cafe, for example, pre-purchased $10,000 worth of milk. Wow. And obviously we did honour that and gave him $10,000 worth of milk. But, yeah, a lot of individuals that backed us, it's um, – it was a very humbling experience, but also um, incredibly powerful because um, it really rallied even more support for our brand. And it was very unintentional. It was we did that because we simply needed the money to get rid of the blackberries and the horses and everything. All the crap li- was actually living in the in the um, factory at the time. So, wow. Steve, thankfully, is a very practical dairy farmer. Uh, obviously, there's no handover. All of the water comes from the dam. There's a million pipes in the ground. Um, he spent a month just trying to figure out how to get water back into the factory. And in that time, we also had, like, social media has been a big part of it, and we just sort of, it's actually really not that filtered. And especially back then, and, you know, we'd um, we'd say sort of whatever we were thinking and one of it was like, we just need some help. So a lot of people just showed up and volunteered, like they were travelling around Australia and would just bring their caravan and park up and paint walls or, you know, whatever. And it was just incredible. Boarding school is something that many children from rural, regional and remote areas experience in their lives. It can be one of the greatest experiences, making lifelong friends, getting a great education and amazing extracurricular activities such as sports and cultural activities on offer. Making a decision about your child's education, however, can be difficult. So we've created a guide to help make that hard decision a little easier for those of you who are facing it. 
In our April-May issue, there is a lift out featuring some fantastic schools and expo information. Or head to grazyherd.com.au for our digital Grazy Herd boarding school guide with extended stories on all the schools featured, a directory and direct links to all school websites. On sale April 3. How much um, milk are you processing now? Do you measure it by the week or the year? It, it varies, but we're probably doing about 25 pallets, 30 pallets, three times a week. Yeah, it's it's, and the, we've actually included um, butter and sour cream and, and, and um, a whole bunch of other products as well now. So um, we've got an amazing team of people, but I guess the challenges are, you know, with a business that is growing, you have, you know, more staff, more HR, you know, <laughs> you're creating a creating a monster. Totally, it's such um, it is. It's all encompassing, and the more things grow, the more you have to scale, and it's a big thing to have to learn to do. I suppose. Do you think that your childhood kind of set you up for this? Because you were saying before that you had a relatively chaotic childhood with a lot of color. Can you tell me a little bit about that, and and how maybe you've you gained skills through that that set you up for now? Yeah, look, my brother has got autism and complex behavioural problems, so we've we've lived with that for our lives. And we were homeschooled. I was um, up until grade six, and it was sort of just a very dysfunctional family. And as I said, you know, we had cows that were needing to be milked twice a day. We had our factory where you were always required, um, <laughs> and then we had our ice cream shops. And so there was always something on the go. We didn't have TV, um, you know, like it wasn't it wasn't your usual probably childhood that certainly my kids don't have. But I think, yeah, there was a lot of positives that came out of it. It was very, you know, like any typical dairy farming family, it's everybody lived on the farm, the grandparents, the aunties, the uncles, the cousins. So it was very much a community thing growing up. You know, you have to learn how to be resourceful and resilient and and all of those things and independent you had wonderful role models because your um, dad and pop worked on the oil rigs quite regularly didn't they so your mum and nan were milking the cows and and running the ship at home yeah 100 percent. like they're incredible Um, my nan and mum were yeah very capable women and um, yeah they just got on with the show and you know it's quite interesting and mind-blowing that women weren't identified as farmers until 1984 like they weren't Mm. even recognized on the census for that so you know but they were they were doing everything but Mm. not necessarily given the um the credit for being you know farmers or and um and whatnot so yeah like I remember mum mum's a nurse by trade and I remember her you know doing a cesarean section (laughs) like assisting the the vet and pulling calves out, you know, like just, just, yeah, crazy stuff. And I think, yeah, we're very privileged, um, those of us that do grow up on farms, um, because we have an ex, you know, an extra level of being able to just do things or figure it out, I think. Definitely that the capacity and the aptitude, which I think no doubt has definitely held you in, in 
Truestead and also probably being surrounded by entrepreneurs, really, that entrepreneurial spirit, because it certainly leaked into your um, running of the farmer's markets, which you started, I believe, through Mother's Group, didn't you? Yep. Uh, I remember rolling up to the library where we were having a mum's group and I said, right, who wants to start a farmer's market? And they all went, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, one one other girl, She's uh, she was great. She had many skills that I didn't have and together we created um, a real, I guess, wonderful community event that is the heartbeat of our town and continues to be nine years later and um you know, I just love community. I love people. I love that connection. Yeah, the mums group is very important element. And any yeah, any mother that's starting out, I encourage you to find some good group of a good group of women that you can have your back. And so now for you moving forward, what is your dream and where would you like Gibson Jersey to go? So my ultimate dream is that we can be a profitable enough company that uh, I can create a well farm. So there's a concept in Europe where there's thousands of farms where people that have got stuff going on in their lives mentally and they just need somewhere, some place to go. And um, it's more preventative than anything else. And they, it's a working operational farm and people can come and be part of that farm. So they have purpose, they have connection, they have support and Whatever it is that, or wherever, whatever it is that they need, they will just go on that journey as part of the farm. And it's a concept that's not in Australia. And we need it here because mm-hmm. our mental health system really is broken. And for, for us, you know, I remember, you know, really trying to find a farm that my dad could go to that we could send him to that he would be supported and um, helped. But it just doesn't exist in Australia. And so that is the absolute ultimate goal for me, which would be full circle. And um, that might that might take, you know, 10 or 20 years for us to actually get there because it's, you know, got to be done properly and it does take uh, a lot of resources and finances to make it happen. Well, I just think you're a force to be reckoned with and I, I just don't see how it could not happen. So watch this space. And if there's any listeners out there who can help connect Sally to the right people to help them make that dream happen. And that would be very amazing. Um, Sally, it's just been such a pleasure to chat with you. I've just adored it and I feel very invigorated and inspired. Um, So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Emily. Even though I conduct most of my interviews over Zoom with my guests flung over all corners of Australia, there are some conversations where the energy beams through the screen and makes me feel like I'm in the same room. That's what it's like when talking with Sally Jones. Her instant warmth, her pragmatism, her energy and her willingness to drive the change she so desperately wants to see around her is magnetic. All this while parenting children. I'm just so glad that there are people like Sally in the world. Jump online to gippslandjersey.com.au, order a mental health calendar, read their incredible blog and peruse the seriously delicious dairy products on offer. Supporting small and supporting local is a way that we can all promote change. Thank you to you. 
our Grazy Her community who vote for us by subscribing and listening to each episode. You're the reason we keep showing up and have the enormous privilege of telling these stories. Don't forget to rate and review us right now on the app before you go. And why not send us a pic either on Instagram, Facebook or email showing where you are while you listen to the podcast. We love sharing these pictures and I always marvel at how bloody diverse our lives are. Until next time, keep well. I'm Em Herbert and this is a Grezi Her podcast. Mm-hmm.